May I say that we have become a people that have not, that has forgotten how to wait on God. We're in a hurry to do everything. We're in a hurry to get in church. We're in a hurry to get out of church. We're in a hurry to pray. We're in a hurry for prayer to be finished. We're in a hurry for everything, but there's a blessing in tarrying. Oh, I wish I had some Kojic folk in here right now that can remember when the church used to have those prayer services and they would tarry all night long and fire would begin to burn and something would begin to break loose because I'm telling you, when you wait on God, God will show up. And whenever God shows up, he always shows out. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. But you have received power. This book of Acts opens with the community of faith waiting for something to happen. And not only are they waiting for something to happen, they are listening for a word. Presumably, if God had done nothing or said nothing, there would be no community. But there is a community because something has happened and there is, Deacon Holmes, a word. For Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, who died and was buried on the third day, rose from the dead with resurrection power. And following his resurrection, the Bible says, he appeared to the disciples with many infallible, King James says infallible, other translations say convincing proofs. At the end of the day, he appeared before them with convincing proofs, evidence, infallible evidence that affirmed that he was not a ghost, but that he was indeed alive forevermore. During a season of 40 days, we are told that he meets with the disciples who are now called apostles from the word apostolos, which means one who is sent because now they have seen the risen Lord and they will have the responsibility for being sent to the uttermost parts of the earth. He shares with them over these 40 days what we could call his last will and testament that lends authority to the future work of his chosen successors. He commands them to be witnesses to Christ, to Christ's life, to his death, and, God, and his resurrection as the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus talks to them about a lot of things, but one thing in particular he talks to them about is the kingdom of God, which according to Luke's gospel is the central expression of Jesus' ministry. If you read the gospel of Luke, you'll find that one of the things that is dominant in the gospel is the kingdom, that Jesus came preaching the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom of God, the realm, the rule of God, if you will. And as he talks to them about the kingdom of God, he instructs the apostles, the people who have been tutored by him and mentored by him, to remain in Jerusalem, the city of Jesus' destiny, the divinely intended scene for the giving of the Spirit, the place where Jesus was rejected to be the place where fresh witness to Jesus would begin. Isn't it ironic how the Lord will often take the place that was intended to defeat us to be the very place that he takes us back to to show and demonstrate that he's mighty to save and that his power is strong in us. I'm, I don't know who I'm talking to, but let me pause parenthetically to say that your failure could just have been a prelude for something greater. 
that even though you might have been crucified in Jerusalem, it will be in the same place of your crucifixion, I hear you, Holy Ghost, that you'll experience your resurrection. Somebody miss your place to shout. Somebody needs to take about 10 seconds right now and give God some praise because some of you have experienced some, some crucifixions in 2013, but I'm on assignment to tell you that the same place where you experience crucifixion, God will fix it so that it will be your place of resurrection. Can you give him praise? Look at somebody said, said, can I shout now or do I have to wait? Somebody needs to know today that you may have experienced a crucifixion, but when God is in the plan, when God is for you, he is more than the world against you, and so it will be in the same place. Somebody said the same place. Same place where you fail. Same place where you were embarrassed. Same place where you were put to shame. The same place that you experienced crucifixion, that's going to be your place of resurrection. Jerusalem would be the launching pad for their departure into the world, carrying the word of the Lord to the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jesus gives them some very clear instructions. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't leave the headquarters, but wait for the promise of the Father because John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. In other words, Jesus was preparing them for Pentecostal power. He tells them, you've been baptized once by the water, but the next time you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the promise of Pentecost lies in Jerusalem, the very place where Jesus was despised and rejected, crucified and buried. Pentecost lies in Jerusalem. And the disciples, now apostles, are instructed to tarry. Somebody said to wait. May I say that we have become a people that, have not, that has forgotten how to wait on God. We're in a hurry to do everything. We're in a hurry to get in church. We're in a hurry to get out of church. We're in a hurry to pray. We're in a hurry for prayer to be finished. We're in a hurry for everything. But there's a blessing in tarrying. Oh, I wish I had some Kojic folk in here right now that can remember when the church used to have those prayer services and they would tarry all night long and fire would begin to burn and something would begin to break loose. Because I'm telling you, when you wait on God, God will show up. And whenever God shows up, he always shows out. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but tarry here in the city. Don't miss this until you are endued, clothed with power from on high. In other words, Jesus understood, Reverend Lisa, that the assignment that he was giving them was one that they didn't want to go out to naked. Y'all missed that. Many of us are trying to fight battles naked. And I'm not talking about physical clothes. I'm talking about without any power from the Holy Ghost. This is the reason why when we get in some real battles, Lord help me here, and we find ourselves in the midst of warfare, the enemy is putting us to an open shame, whooping our tail, cutting our head to the fat, because too many of us are trying to fight with no clothes on. Ah, oh, but if you wait on God, wait for the power. Touch your neighbor and say, sometimes you got to wait on the power. 
He says, wait for the power until you are endued, clothed with power from on high. And I can imagine that the disciples were a lot like us. They were anxious to get busy. You know, we're always anxious to do something. We're always anxious to get busy. I was talking to somebody the other day who was trying to discern whether or not they had been called to the ministry. And, and, and one of the things that they kept saying was, but I feel like I ought to be doing something. I, I believe God has called me, but I feel like I ought to be doing something. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just give God an unconditional yes and just wait for God to give you the next step. So often we think we ought to be doing, ain't Reuben, when we ought to just be being. Because if you have not learned how to be, you ain't going to be much count when you start doing. Y'all ain't getting me. Y'all, okay. I said, at some point, we got to learn how to be. Jesus says to them, tarry in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. So even though they know they have an assignment, even though they know that they've been mentored, all they can do at this point is wait and receive the instruction. So here we are in Acts chapter 1. They know that the resurrection has happened. It's the source of their hope. It's also the source of their yearning. They want Christ to fulfill his promise of restoration to finish the work he has already begun. The resurrection or the crucifixion to some degree, seem to have preempted the work of Jesus Christ. And so now the apostles are waiting to see what God is going to do next. They know that the battle has been fought, that the devil has been put to an open shame on Calvary, but they still have questions. And so in this in-between time, don't you hate the in-between time? When you're waiting on God to answer, when you're waiting for God to give you revelation, when you're waiting for God to show himself strong, in the in-between time, they wait for those who are still dependent upon the Father's faithfulness, but who have no control over the timetable. Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian, described this in-between time as a significant pause, a pause in which the only task that the church has, and sometimes the only task that you and I have or that we can participate in is to wait and pray. Who am I talking to in here this morning? That's in a significant moment of pause. That even though you know something has happened, God ain't quite through. And God ain't cooperating. Because the answer that you seek will only come by waiting and praying. This significant pause in their life with Jesus is a moment where all they can do is wait and pray and pray and wait. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I'm talking to somebody who's in that mode. You've been waiting and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been waiting and you've been waiting and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been waiting and you keep saying, God, when you're going to say something, God, when you're going to show up. But sometimes God brings us into a place where there is a significant pause and the only thing you can do is wait and pray. But the fulfillment, the assurance comes knowing that eventually God is going to say something. And whenever God shows up, he ain't never late. They are in a moment of waiting and praying and praying and waiting. But while they are waiting, there's a question that's on everybody's mind. They've been instructed by Jesus, but they still have questions. They've seen the proof, the infallible proof 
that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but they still have questions. Jesus has gotten up from the grave with resurrection power, but they still have questions. Thomas's doubts have been settled because Thomas said, unless I see the print of the nails in his hand and place my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my finger in his side, I will not believe. But even Thomas's doubts have been put to rest. They have seen a lot. They've heard a lot, but they still have questions. And the question that's on everybody's mind as the book of Acts opens is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? Now, this question may not seem important to us because we don't understand the context in which the disciples, the apostles, and what would be the first century church found themselves. They were in a context of oppression. They were living under the oppressive regime of Rome. And their hope was that now that Jesus has put death to an open shame, now that it is clear that he is who he says he is, King of kings and Lord of lords, and now that he has promised that the Spirit is going to come, surely with the coming of a Spirit, He's going to establish his kingdom on earth, restore his people, have mercy on the house of Jacob, and pour out his spirit on all flesh so that his sons and daughters might prophesy and we will be in charge once again. That's really the question that they were asking. Now that you're in charge, when are you going to put us in charge? They wanted to know since you're telling us to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the outpouring of the Spirit, which is just a few days off, do you mean that the end is close? That the final kingdom is about to be established? Do you mean that things are going to shift in just a matter of weeks or a matter of months? Their question is not so much about pneumatology as much as it is about eschatology. They're not so concerned about the Holy Ghost as much as they are concerned about how the Holy Ghost is going to help them have power in their hands. But Jesus doesn't talk to them about pneumatology. He doesn't talk to them about eschatology or end times or last things, but he discusses with them theology. Now be clear, Jesus is concerned about the kingdom. But what they miss and what we so often miss is that Jesus was not just concerned about the kingdom of Israel. Jesus was concerned about the kingdom of God. Jesus was not just concerned about a patch of land in one section or territory, but he was concerned, Lord help me, about the realm and the rule of God being inaugurated in the land so that the people of God might live under the rule of God's authority and his might. And so Jesus suggested to them, this is not the time for human or apocalyptic speculation. He knows that their question is legitimate, but he tries to shift their focus to help them understand that you're asking the wrong question. May I put a pen there? And sometimes, and sometimes we're asking the wrong question because the question that we're looking for the answer for is an answer that we're not going to get. Jesus says, you might as well stop trying to micromanage. You might as well stop trying to control stuff because there are certain things that are only known to God. 
It is not for you to know the time that the kingdom will be restored unto Israel. The baptism of the Spirit will not mean immediate restoration of Israel. It will not mean full establishment of the kingdom. But I tell you what it does mean. Here's what the baptism of the Spirit means for you and for us. You shall receive power. Some of you missed your place to shout. But you shall receive dunamis. Somebody said dunamis. Jesus tells the disciples while they're waiting to see what he's going to do next and see whether he's going to restore the kingdom back to Israel, you won't get necessarily inside information, but you will get power. You're going to get dunamis, dunamis, and dunamis in the Greek means potential for functioning. It means might. It means strength. It means force. It means capability. It means physical or moral ability residing in a person. It means capacity. It means power in action as when put forth in performing miracles. Now, this power that Jesus is talking about is not a passive power. It is not a impotent power, but it is a robust force. Somebody say robust force that is at work in demonstrative ways to the point that whenever it's at work, everybody can see it. This power comes from the Spirit of God, more specifically, the Spirit of prophecy. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples, and this word has relevance for us today, is that the Holy Spirit who came and who has come will confer New competencies. Somebody said new competencies. What that means is that there will be things that they could not do before when they did not have the power of the Holy Ghost that they will now be able to do. Jesus is saying that this spirit will confer new competencies upon the apostles that will enable them to perform tasks that they are given whether it's through inspired words, miraculous works, or their leadership within the community's common life. The Spirit, capital S, of power will reside in them to the end that they may be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, the reason why this needs to, you, you got to get this, is because according to Old Testament teaching, the Spirit was not resident. The Spirit of God, Minister Marilyn, came on people for certain assignments and left. That's why in Psalm 51, after David slept with Bathsheba, he says, don't let your spirit or don't take your spirit away from me. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost had not been given. I, I, I feel like shouting out my shoes here. The Holy Ghost had not been given. And so as a result, the Spirit only came on people for a certain task, a certain assignment, and for a season. That's why when Samson got his eyes gouged out, I can't get no help in here, because he let himself get caught in Bathsheba's lap, and he revealed his secret of his strength to the enemy. God gave him strength just one more time so that he could fight against the Philistines because the spirit did not rest permanently. The spirit was not resident or president, but the spirit was a visitor. 
who checked in and checked out based on the circumstance. Ah, but now that the Holy Ghost is coming, Lord have mercy, it means that the Spirit of God is going to live inside of them without measure so that they might be witnesses to the ends of the earth. In other words, what Jesus is saying to them is that you're going to have power to be a witness that will enable, don't miss these words, the progress of the gospel to go forward from Jerusalem to Rome. The apostles will be empowered by the Holy Spirit as the sending force behind the missionary enterprise to go forth in their community, which was Jerusalem, their region, all Judea, Samaria, which was socially and ethnically different from them, and the world beyond their knowledge, which was Rome and the Mediterranean world. What Jesus is suggesting to them, stay with me, is that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them and going to give them a different kind of power. Now, most of us can't get this because the power that we are most accustomed to is an impotent power. But this power that Jesus is talking about is a power that's not in their possession. It's a power that they could not give themselves. It's a power that they couldn't bargain for or buy with money. It would be a power that would be given to them if they would just tarry and wait for the promise. And I hope most of you understand the implications of this power. You understand the implications of dunamis. That it is not just any kind of power. It is not a power, Lord, that is just associated with worldly acclaim. It is not the power that we typically fight to obtain. But this power is an extraordinary power. It's a supernatural power. I wish somebody could get this. It's a conquering power, a convicting power, a converting power, and a confirming power. It's not a destructive power, like an earthquake or the eruption of a volcano. But this is creative power. This is power that can create something out of nothing. This is power that whenever something is dead, it comes back to life. Somebody throw your head back and say, resurrection power. It's power that's stronger than a strong personality, than an educated mind, than a good family background, good leadership ability. All these things are important, but this power that Jesus was talking about is the same power, I wish I had somebody here, that got Jesus up out the grave, that can bring death back to life, and that is not encumbered by obstacles or obstruction. This power is a power that paid no attention to a stone. It paid no attention to Caesar's decree. It paid no attention to the Sanhedrin. It paid no attention to the doubting disciples. Because early Sunday morning, I wish somebody could shout off Sunday morning, Jesus got up without a bulldozer, without anybody moving the rock, without anybody pulling some strings, early in the morning, while the dew was still on the roses, without any help from anybody, without a vote of confidence, Jesus got up from the grave because of dunamis, resurrection power. You ought to high-five your neighbor and tell him you have received power. This power can operate, don't miss this, completely by itself if necessary. 
came to help you today. Touch your neighbor and say, don't miss this. I said, this power that you have in you can operate by itself if necessary. Let me see if I can come back and get somebody. This power that God has put in you can operate by itself if necessary. Y'all ain't getting it. Let me, let me see if I can talk to this side over here. This power, somebody said this power, that God has placed in me can operate on its own if necessary. Which means that if nobody helps me, if nobody opens a door, if nobody gives me a chance, I got something down on the inside. I wish I had some help in here. That if nobody comes to my rescue, if nobody opens a door, if nobody makes a way, there is something on the inside. Lucy Campbell says something within that holdeth the rain. Something within that vanishes pain. What it is, I can't explain. All I know, there's something within. I know what it is. It's the Holy Ghost. And it's more than given to me to just make me shout. But it gives me power to advance, to progress, and to have good success. Somebody has to get this. Touch your neighbor and say, if you don't get anything else, in 2014, you need to get this, that you have dunamis. Come on, say it. I got dunamis. Mary Mary said, it's the God in me. Doesn't it blow your mind to know that the God of the universe, that the power that got Jesus up out the grave is the same power that's working in you? which means that you are not helpless or hopeless. You can do whatever God says you can do. And you can have whatever God says you can have because there's a power. Lord, I wish I could holler like I want to. I wish somebody could get it that there's a power that's working in you that got Jesus up out the grave that can work by itself if necessary. Some of y'all miss your place to run. Because some of y'all been around here crying because I want nobody to help me. And I can't get them. And I just wish somebody. But let me tell you. Let me tell you. Even if nobody helps you. You got a power inside of you. That God will help you do it all by yourself. You ought to high five your neighbor. And tell him my mind is being renewed. I got strength on the inside. And even though some folk walked out. And some folk let me down. And some folk disappointed me. And some folk threw me under the bus. There's a power that's inside of me that can work by itself if necessary. This power that's inside of you, Flag, can work on its own if it's completely necessary. This is the reason why some of you be, excuse me, Ebonics, why you can't stop shouting. Because according to statistics and according to natural laws, you were not supposed to get through what you got through. I don't hear nobody in here. But you ought to look at somebody and say, but it was the God in me. Lord have mercy that got me through the layoff. It was the God in me that got me through downsizing. It was the God in me that got me through unemployment. It was the God in me that got me through the dissertation. It was the God in me that got me through the divorce. You ought to clap your hands and thank
God for power. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. Like what you've heard? You can purchase this message by visiting www.christmbc.org store or by emailing us at orders at christmbc.org. Be sure to mention the title of the message. We are one church in two locations. Join us at one of our two locations at 8 a.m. at our east location at the Esplanade Memphis located at 901 Cordova Station, Cordova, Tennessee 38018 or at 10 a.m. at our south location located at 480 South Parkway East, Memphis, Tennessee 38106. May God continue to bless you is our prayer.